My conversation today is really engaging. It is with Mercedes Asplund. She's a yoga instructor and spiritual empowerment coach. What I really enjoyed about our story was how very heartfelt it was, how very real and very applicable to everybody in everyday life. It's not just for some, it's for all. So it was very interesting to have a conversation about how we hold emotion in our body, how we feel our history, our memories, our triggers of our emotions somatically. And once you figure out how to hear and understand where that sits in your body, that's the awareness to get you started towards addressing those areas that need some of your love and attention. So this is going to be such a good convo. Stay tuned, because here we go. Hey guys, you're listening to the Energy of the Untamed Heart podcast, where we talk about uncaging your divinely gifted wild heart to be as free and expansive as you were born to be. My goal is to use our stories, guest interviews, and your questions to tease out what has been keeping your wild heart under wraps. I'm your host, Miel Fox, and together we will shatter the myths of our old stories to set our wild heart free. So thanks for choosing you and showing up today. I was just wondering if you wanted to share a little bit of your backstory and kind of give me an idea of what you feel are the things that resonate the most or have resonated the most for you to become the who you are currently. Because we know the journey okay. never really stops. Yeah, exactly. Uh so to start you off from right at the beginning, I grew up with a dad who was an alcoholic. And I think the disruption started in my life when I was about six. He mm. was it kind of kept it under control when I was about six, it sort of started and there were crazy things going on. And then he was in and out of my life because I'd have times so I was like, I don't want to see him, and then times when I would. And when I was about 15, I was like, this is it, I cannot take having him in my life anymore. And I stopped seeing him until for about five years. And then I saw him maybe half a dozen more times. And when I was 25, he committed suicide. Now, in the meantime, one of the things I've been sort of working on recently to sort of explaining to people is I was on the train of what I should do. So I got my qualifications at school, went to university, got a good job and was just kind of doing, plodding along, doing what I was supposed to do and feeling really unhappy doing it, but just thinking that this is what life was like. And then... My dad committed suicide and I think something in my brain went off where I was just like, I, I can't do this anymore. And I left the corporate world and I went into I did family. I've done lots of different family businesses, little things, little bits and pieces that have not necessarily been the things that have been right for me, but they've taken me along the way. Mm. I've done a lot of work on myself. My mum started me off when I was a teenager on reading like Louise Hay and Dale Carnegie. And things like that. So I was doing those work, that work all the way along and learning about myself. I kept going with it. I, and I've decided to do yoga, a lot of yoga and getting into more meditation. And then I was working through the Louise Hayes book again. And I was doing it properly this time, like really working through it. And realizing this is about 10 years ago now. I couldn't look myself in the eye and say, I love you. I just literally couldn't do it. It was like, and I remember sitting there thinking, how can I not do this? This should really, it's just saying words to yourself in the mirror. But I found it literally impossible. So I worked on that. And I worked, my mom was working on it with me. So she was kind of like forcing me to do it. 
it's nice to have an accountability partner. Yes, exactly. It's always because otherwise you just think, oh, I'll leave, I'll do that another time. I qualified as a yoga teacher and I was working doing that. And I took a year out. I moved, I was living in London at the time and I moved a few hundred miles away. I took a year where I kind of regrouped and learned a bit about a lot about myself. I did lots of meditation, chant. I was chanting the Bhagavad Gita every day and doing yoga and reading spiritual books and really deep sort of spiritual books rather than the self-help stuff. So things that are really going to go deep into your consciousness and the way that you connect with the universe and that kind of thing. It's slightly different to the regular self-help books. And I just gradually found myself changing. And I was thinking about this today because it's now 10 years that I have been meditating every day, bar two months after my son was born when my brain didn't even know which way was up. But apart from that, every day I've meditated for 10 years. And the effect that it's had over that 10 years has been, it's been huge. And I think that's always the thing when people look at meditation, they think, oh, it's going to change my life. And it does, but it doesn't do it overnight. You don't meditate for a month and you think, oh, my life has changed. My brain has changed. It's the gradual drip feed of doing things like that that I've found have really changed me. And then now I'm doing coaching, working with people and doing something where I can reconnect with people and actually share some of this journey with people and help them on their journey as well. Because I think to be able to touch as many lives as we can is really important. Once you've learned these things and you've been through them, to show other people that you can do it, you can move forward and you can actually make something of your life in a way that isn't conforming to what we're told we should be. So it's so interesting to hear how you describe this. And I do have a question about meditation for you, but I will I will tell you. So I'm a little bit older than you, but I was raised in a family, fairly dysfunctional family with both parents alcoholics. One was definitely what I call functional alcoholism, meaning never really not, but enough to manage the day. And then it Mm -hmm. would certainly escalate into times of not managing the day or the night or any other thing with a lot of other Mm -hmm. behaviors of hiding and lying and a lot of verbal exchanges and physical exchange. And I, I, I am sure you're nodding inside saying, yes, been there, done that. I get that. So what I do want to acknowledge is that the path for children who are raised in an environment that is, shall we say, less than supportive, and then to be able to come through that and hold on to the knowledge that that is not who you are in your essence. And that as a child, those experiences certainly mold and shape who you could potentially become, but with really digging deep and really returning to the essence of who you really are at your core. um, I will absolutely say it is a tragedy to be raised in a difficult environment like that. But I also believe that these are the lessons that make us one stronger Mm -hmm. and resilient and gritty to see that there is capacity to do something in a different way should we choose it? And three, to serve as tools that we can lean on to offer ourselves what we need as we work through the challenges on the journey. So I want to honor your openness and sharing. It's a very, very hard upbringing if you're in Mm -hmm. that environment 
from both a, a child's perspective and an adult's perspective. And so I, I truly want to thank you for being open and sharing that because I'm sure there's listeners who are like, oh yeah, that's sounding pretty familiar to me and I'm not the only one out here feeling this. I have a question about meditation and then I just want to talk about some of the major turning points of learning that you were able to tap into and how you were able to tap into that. And if there's a piece of that that you feel is really key to share out for the listeners who might Mm -hmm. benefit from that. And so my question about the meditation Mm -hmm. is, I absolutely believe when we're able to get into a space where we're I'm not going to say doing nothing because when you're meditating to me, you're not really doing nothing. Mm -hmm. You're really allowing yourself to be present in a given moment without Mm -hmm. any judgment of what's coming through in that moment, just that you're able to actually be present within the moment. I think it very interesting that you say it's not that you're going to do it for a month and and have a result, but that it's more of a a dripping of change that comes through. And Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if you have a sense of mm, how that seems to create the shift. Is it being in the moment that allows you to hear your higher self? Is it that you're just are slowing down from the day's activities in your view? How and what is it about yoga? How and what is it about the meditation that you feel has been so helpful for you for me it's when you're doing those activities you're training your brain to come into the now and to be aware of what's now and it kind of increases your awareness because you're aware of what's happening so particularly doing any awareness any mindfulness meditation so you become aware of the breath you start to become aware of everything that's happening in the body around the body and around you And what it does is it increases the awareness in your life in general. So you start to become more aware of things and you stop reacting and start responding a lot more. Like I know now I'm a lot less reactive than I used to be because a situation can come up and my brain naturally takes the breath and is aware of, I'm aware of what my reaction patterns are. So when I feel them being triggered, there's a mechanism in there that stops me. Not always. You're going to find it very hard to find someone who's perfect at doing all of these things. And so it does happen. And you don't even realize that you suddenly turn around and you think, well, actually, do you know what? I'm so much calmer than I used to be. And I'm so much more balanced. And I can take these things in my stride more easily. And you don't even realize it's happening. And then one day you turn around and you realize it's happened. Yes. That's, I know it's one of the things I would say in my backstory, having my dad. My dad was a complex character because he was a functional alcoholic, like you were saying, but he had huge amounts of positive qualities that he taught me. I was brought up vegetarian because my dad was the vegetarian and my whole family were because of him. And when he was a teenager, he actually went to India and studied with the Dalai Lama and was really into Buddhism. So we had Buddhist iconography around when I was a kid and it was all there. And that all came from him. So in some ways, my journey out of the pain that he caused was led by him which is even more of a bizarre way of looking at it um he just couldn't live what he could teach you really well but he couldn't live it so it's quite a complex way of coming out of it it is a very complex way and i think speaks absolutely for people sometimes misconstrue addiction as oh someone's just taking the easy out and 
-hmm. many times I feel that for the individual with the addiction, regardless of what your addiction is, it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be food, it could be exercise, it could be gambling. I I mean, (laughs) it could be whatever. Maybe vacuuming is your thing. I don't know. I find that the addiction is merely an expression of what's deeper. And the what's deeper Mm -hmm. are the fears or the belief systems that individual does not have a good way to work through or deal with or understand. And in an effort to sort of avoid or numb that piece, in comes the addiction as a means of escape. And it's interesting that you say your dad could do the teaching, but yet he couldn't apply it for himself. And Mm -hmm. I had something very similar in my family. My father was brilliant. I mean, like brilliant, brilliant. And yet he Mm -hmm. had so many personal, psychological, emotional demons from generational trauma, his upbringing, war, you know, in in his era, there was genocide, all the things that Mm -hmm. the overwhelm of that combined with the expectations that in his era, society placed on this is the mm-hmm. role of a man in your time frame. This is what you do. This is how it should be. Mm-hmm. I think those were all contributors that led him down a path of, I need to numb this. I need to escape from this. I think nowadays we have you and I and, and many other people, we have the, it's a blessing. It's a luxury to have access to the internet, to have access to yeah. coaches, to have access to platforms where we can have conversation like this and bring it out in the open and not bring it out in the open as some badge of war, but to bring it out in the Mm -hmm. open to say, I see you, I hear you. Connection. You're not alone doing this with there. You have a platform and a space where people hold space and you are supported as you work through. I think that was absolutely not available in my parents' generation. And I think they turned right. to other other vices because mm-hmm. that's all they knew. Yeah. yeah. So. And it's funny because you're saying that it's like the way you were describing your dad is, is so similar to how I could describe my dad because my dad was amazing. He was really intelligent. He was almost visionary. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes if you're in that state and you can seal this stuff, you can also seal the bad stuff around you. And I think that if you can't process that and you can't manage it, the only way out is through addiction because you just don't know how to handle it. Even from my perspective, I used to smoke. It's an interesting story with you, how yoga and meditation helped me with this. I used to smoke and I did yoga consistently for a few months and I just stopped smoking. I just didn't want to do it anymore. I'd smoked for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. So it was something that I'd always done. And then I read a book shortly afterwards about how when you do yoga and you start to breathe properly so you're breathing the whole lungs are taken up you rid yourself of the need to smoke because what smoking does is it pushes the grief down and you hold the grief in your lungs so you're pushing it down you're holding it and when you learn to breathe you release it so the need to smoke actually just goes away and I found that had happened to me. And when I was reading this book, I was like, that, that's exactly what happened to me. That is exactly what happened. And it made perfect sense. So even just learning to breathe properly, because most of us don't, we breathe up here mm. and we don't use the whole of the lungs. 
the, the impact that can actually have on your life is incredible. It's really interesting to hear you say this because it kind of brings it full circle where I think there there was a window of time where people really made a, a distinct separation between what do I feel, what is going on in my body, and what do I think or believe. And then, mm-hmm. of course, they would kind of take the, the spiritual component of what's going on outside of us. And it was literally like three three drawers, three separate drawers in three different places, and they were very unrelated to one another. And of course, we very clearly know that there's a direct communication because we're all energy in mind, body, spirit. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to hear your explanation of when the breath opens the lungs up and allows the release of the emotion that's been held in that place, that the Mm -hmm. need to cover it up goes away. Do you find that with yoga that there are similar releases in other areas of the body that would be similar to the breath work that we know about grief in the lungs? Yeah, there's those, uh, for example, in the hips. Um, This is an area I have struggled with the most. My hips have been really, really tight. And that's linked to basically having a, a protection around the heart which is something that I have had my whole life. I've, I found it very difficult to open myself up to people, to be vulnerable, to connect at a really connect on that heart level to actually let people in. And one of the things I suffered from was really tight hips. And now since I've been doing a lot more of this work and I can talk about things, my hips are a lot more relaxed. I don't think they're ever going to be, I'm never going to look like super flexible, bendy person because I don't think my hips literally do that. I think that's one of the misconceptions people have when they do yoga is they think they have to be really flexible to do it because there's so much imagery out there of these really flexible people doing it. I'm perfect evidence of the fact you really don't have to be flexible even to teach. You just have to know how to move your body and how to breathe. And my teacher always said to me, if you can breathe, you can do yoga because that's all that really matters. And it's those little releases. So as they release gradually in your hips, you notice the difference, your hips gradually release and everything relaxes. And it's a really weird connection. And people don't realize how much of the emotions we store in the body. And then obviously, with the, as, well, as well as the hips, you've got the psoas, which is probably one of the most well-known muscles. It's the biggest muscle in the body. And we hold so much tension in that. You can actually see by how the way someone walks. When you see someone who often walks with their feet turned out, they've got really tight psoas. Okay, so they're holding a lot in there. And you hold a lot of emotions in the psoas. And all different things will be released as you get more flexibility in that area. It's fascinating to me. It's really interesting because I feel that some of us, we have completely missed this connection. And I think this connection is so critical because it's a reminder that we hold emotions somatically within the body. Mm-hmm. And the expression of where does yeah. it show up in your body is absolutely a roadmap to and from your heart, basically. You're describing it in the lungs and into the hips and what kinds of emotions are held in in which portions of the body. Again, if we think about it or go from the quantum capacity of things, if everything is predominantly energy and our cells are predominantly energy and our cells are then collected to become organ systems and other components within the body, then it makes sense if you're storing emotion within the cellular component of your physical being. Therefore, Mm -hmm. if you have something that is symptomatically showing up somatically in your body, then it absolutely would have a root trace back to some emotional event 
which also then traces back to some mental thought pattern belief story conditioning yeah and so on physical conditions coming from the body like from the mind into the body i think as well a lot of that gets misconstrued because when people talk about children that are not well and they say well, what have they got why are they getting ill i think that what we don't realize and what we don't account for so much is the generational trauma that we store within our bodies as well so we're not just storing what's happening to us and what we're feeling emotionally we're storing what happened to our parents what happened to our grandparents and more than that what happened to our society going back generations and generations and it's it's actually been proved that we are storing that in our body and we are carrying that through with us so even at birth we are carrying emotional wounds and traumas in our body and I think that's something that's it's quite hard to get your head around but the more we can release those and the more we can bring light to them then the more free we are in our lives and the, the more we give our children the chance to go forward without those wounds and that's part of it as well we're actually doing it not just for ourselves for future generations because we're clearing that energy away from us absolutely absolutely so let me ask you this because i do a little bit of yoga but not consistently so again consistency tends to be my achilles heel for me do you feel that utilizing the yoga facilitates the generational clearing as well? I would say yes, because I think that when you're doing yoga, you're clearing the energy systems in the whole body. Okay. So you're not just, you're not just physically moving the body, you're connecting the mind, you're connecting the body, but you're also, if you think of working on the chakra system, you're clearing that energy system, you're allowing it to flow freely. So you're ridding yourself as much as you possibly can I don't think that it necessarily does everything. And I think that this is part of it's it's doing numerous different de- disciplines together and working on them together and clearing things bit by bit by bit. So energy healing as well. So clearing the energy in the body. I think as well, we're doing energy healing. I think people realize you can actually do it for yourself. You can just ask for the universe to help you clear the energy of your body and you can just run your hands over your body and you can actually clear your own energy. And it's useful to be able to do that if you're in a negative or a toxic environment when you leave to actually clear your energy system of that. So you're not carrying that with you as a residual energy, because we do. We take energy from other people. We carry sure. it around with us and we deposit it all over the place and we keep it with us. It affects us. So being able to cleanse yourself of that as well is always really handy. So it's putting a number of things together. Mm, it's and really awareness helpful. as well, just being aware of it. So, again, I love that you describe this awareness, this term, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, because I feel that in the first step to creating transformation, shift, change, growth, healing, Mm -hmm. you don't know what you don't know till you do. So until you start to develop and have the awareness of whatever the thing is, the trigger, the emotion, the feeling, the sensation, the symptom, if there is a complete either lack of acknowledgement of the awareness or no awareness you can't fix what you don't know about basically it's kind of the way i see it and so i love that you say the first thing that you noticed over time with your meditation was you had an awareness that you were able to take a step back when something would come about to a trigger that you had the Mm -hmm. wherewithal to recognize ah I, I'm aware of this shift or this change or this trigger. And now I have the space to decide and choose which way would I like to go with this? 
And it mm-hmm. it's exactly. a, that awareness piece, I think, is just so critical for people, for everybody, for ourselves to find yeah. our way to who we really are, for people who would desire to perhaps not be entangled in addiction. I I wonder for your dad if part of the addiction for him was that his capacity to create the energetic boundaries was difficult for him. Mm-hmm. So very, very mm-hmm. insightful, very spiritual, very aware of others and their energy, mm-hmm. but not having necessarily that mm-hmm. place within himself to establish what's mine is mine's, what yours is yours. And yeah. for people who are very empathically inclined, not being able to create a boundary also means not being able to understand the need and the value of the clearing of the energy because you can't sort what's mine and what's yours because it all just kind of jumbles Mm -hmm. together. I remember having an experience of that myself, actually. Mm. When I was about 16, my mom was a foster carer. So we had lots of kids come in and out of our house. And there was one particular day we had two children arrive and my mom was outside in the garden with the children and the social worker and I was washing up and I suddenly had this urge to throw a plate across a room. And I was like, where did that come from? I'm perfectly fine. And I actually, even then I said, I thought, this is not my emotion. This, this is not for me. And it was it, the only thing I could think was this is these children that have turned up and that's how they feel. And that's what I'm picking up from them. And I think that's been quite, that's been a, a major part of the journey is learning to distinguish what is my emotion and what is somebody else's emotion. Because actually sometimes, and I find it quite frustrating sometimes being able to sense emotions because I can walk into a room and I can sense how people are feeling. I can gauge it. And when you get those people who you do rub up the wrong way because everybody rubs someone up the wrong way, but you can sense it straight away. It makes you quite uncomfortable. You start to think, I know, and they're pretending that they like you, but you know that they're not, and and you can sense all those things. I think it's a very hard place to be in until you come to terms and say, well, actually, do you know what? There's a real bonus to being like that. One, it allows me to understand how other people feel. So it allows me to make proper connections when I want to. And it also allows me to understand how I feel. And I think that's part of where the awareness comes from is when you are when you have got that you're able to empathize other people you can feel it you're an empath actually when you start to understand it become aware of it you can use it to your advantage rather than being something that stresses you out or makes you feel uncomfortable because it's actually a wonderful quality to have it really is and and I'm really glad that you said this because I know quite a few people who are extremely they're very empathic they're very connected and some manage it fairly well. And there are others that it's a complete overwhelm. So much so that mm-hmm. they actually create a disconnect because they don't know what to do with all the incoming stimulus is almost too much. And they don't know what to do with it. So they just shut the whole thing down. And so I think mm-hmm. to understand and develop and learn that there can be a middle ground that there can be Mm -hmm. boundaries that keep you connected, but yet safe by not taking Mm -hmm. on things that don't belong to you. And also to really have an understanding that 
empathic or not empathic, it is not for for those of us who who do take on or feel or very connected to other people's energies, it is not our job to own that, to take it mm -hmm. on ourselves, to fix that, or or even to to have an attachment to the expression of somebody else's energy. What's that old saying of you can only manage and control yourself, not what comes towards you from somebody else, whether that's through speech or action or anything else. So I, yeah, I think exactly. that that learning makes a big difference. Yeah, and knowing when you need to take time out as well, because sometimes I find I need a break from people because I need to take care of my own energies and what's going on. And you start to become aware of that. Actually, I need a break from this because I'm feeling it's, it's tiring me out because I think the other thing you get when you are empathetic is you get people will talk to you quite a lot and they'll share a lot of their experiences and it, you have to be careful what you do take on and what you don't take on. And sometimes you find that you, you misjudge it slightly and you feel drained. And that's, that's when you need to say, okay, I, this is what I've been doing. I now need to take time for myself because I need to recharge and I need to think about what I'm doing with my own energy and just being aware of your own energy can make a huge difference because you can be aware that actually I'm using too much of my energy. I'm trying to, like you said about helping, you try to help all these people and you start giving out all this energy and you think, Do you know what, actually I can't, I need a break. I need to look after my own energy for me because I'm important as well. And I think that's one of the things that happens with empaths is you start worrying about other people so much you forget about yourself. And I think it's yes. really important to, to recharge that energy for you because yes. you can't actually help other people if you're totally gone anyway. If the tank is empty, you're not driving anywhere, right? Exactly. No fuel, yeah, can't exactly. go anywhere. And, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, so, and, that's, yeah. and it is important that people don't realize that your own energy matters. So taking time, even if it is just sitting for 10 minutes in a meditation, having a bit of quiet where you're on your own. And I think that's, it's the on your own time that I find is more, and other people find it different, but I, for me, it's, it's time on my own where I can switch off and not have to deal with other people that I find really beneficial. And then it, and it don't actually need that long to recharge. It's just having a bit of time for me. I think that's, I think that's an excellent recommendation. And I, I think what happens a lot of times in today's world, whether you're a parent with a child or you work multiple jobs or what, whatever the situation may be, I find that the and especially nowadays with the advent of social media and phones and television and computers, and it's it's almost like we're plugged in and turned on all the time. Whether mm -hmm. it is I'm busy caretaking or running around or working, or I can't sit in my own space quietly, so I'm on my phone scrolling, I'm on my computer, whatever the thing is. And I think your point of step away and just be in the moment, not connected to mm -hmm. a device or an activity or in anything specific where you can really mm -hmm. focus on just being in that moment is an enormous recharger. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. connecting with yourself. So you're disconnected yes. from everything else and you're connecting with yourself. And that self-connection is actually what will help to keep you sane. <laughs> in the long run, it's the thing that will help the most. Absolutely. Yeah. I live close to pathway through the woods and day job is extremely busy. A lot of energetic exchange, a lot of talking, a lot of doing. 
I really literally feel when I'm home and I can go out in the woods by myself and just Mm. wander. That's literally like a walking meditation for me. It's the time where I don't have anything else but myself. And it's important. It's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much. I know I live by the beach. I used to like going for a walk when my son was little in a pram, taking him for a walk by the beach. I really enjoyed it. I don't enjoy it so much now because he talks nonstop and wants to get out and do things. And I can't get, there's no peace. There's no like going anywhere. It's like, so I'm like, we're not going to do that. I'll find an alternative way to do it. That that's only a small window of time. So as difficult yeah. as it is, enjoy it because it won't last forever, <laughs> and you'll want to go back to it at some point. So and there's a beauty I in know, everything. He's adorable. Yeah, yeah, he's very loving at the moment. Yeah, at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, nice. it doesn't last. He wants to kiss and cuddle all the time. Yeah, it's a phase, but it's a lovely phase. It's a very genuine yeah. and authentic phase in small children. Yeah. which I love. Yeah. Uh, it's very pure and it's very free. They they don't hold yeah. any judgment about what does it mean or not mean. They just express. And I love yeah. it because it's a lesson for us to return to our creative self. We see yeah. that in small children. And to me, it's a reminder of tap into that small child in you that was creative and fun and expressive and joyful because that's really who we are deep down and if you want to learn where you are on your spiritual development look after a toddler Mm. and you'll find out very quickly (laughs) you'll find out just how just where you are because they will find every angle to send you insane yeah (laughs) it's good it's good learning isn't it (laughs) Yes, it's amazing. Yes. So tell me, how do people find you? What types of coaching do you share and offer? I'm on Facebook and I have a Facebook group, which is Inner inner, Transformation and Awakening Community, if I get my words out. Within that, I do actually do a lot of free coaching. I've started group coaching programs, but I do one-to-one with people if they want to. But I've also launched a membership, which is $7 a month, and it's called the Self-Love Circle, because I want to make things affordable for people so they can actually get the benefit out of it. There's going to be monthly coaching on that. And then there's a course and a supportive community as well where you can get advice and tips. It's the cost of a couple of cups of coffee to make it so that people can get the support and help that they need along the journey without having to spend thousands of pounds on a coach which is actually out of the realms of the majority of people sure um if folks want to get a hold of you that way through facebook or through another through facebook Facebook is the best way to get me my name is mercedes aspland so i'm quite easy to find on facebook because i am the only mercedes aspland it's quite good that's a true statement there's only going to be a one mercedes aspland Exactly. Yes, I love it. Yeah. I will I will type it out in the show notes so it's easy and clear and accurate for folks to find. And I love that you offer mm-hmm. a, a that's a beautiful membership. And truly mm-hmm. when people it's so funny what people choose to spend. If they're willing to spend uh you know $7 having a cup of coffee mm-hmm. the value of what you can gain in $7 to learn how to return home to your heart is a bargain. I mean, who in their exactly. right mind would do such a thing, right? Yeah. Yes. And Absolutely. and like you said, we start with awareness as well. So the first thing in that course when you've gone there is awareness. So you learn what your values are. 
I always say to people, if you don't know what is guiding you, because we all have these core values that really matter to us. And that's how we, if you don't know what's guiding you, then you don't know how to live authentically because you're not living from your actual true self. So we always start with what is it that you actually really, where do you come from? What is your guiding, guiding principles? That's, that's absolutely critical. It's, it's a little bit like you're trying to get to the, you're trying to go to the store, but you don't have a map and you don't know where the store is. You just know it's a store. And so you've got to get some help to get there. That's a beautiful offering. Lovely. Thank you. Gosh, I'm so grateful to have had this time to share with Mercedes. She's the real deal. She walks her talk. She shares her life's experiences to help others learn to navigate their journey challenges in a very gentle and loving way. Her awareness of somatic emotional integration is beautiful, as well as her way of bringing that information to her clients in a safe and compassionate way. So please tag a friend who might benefit from listening to this episode. As always, I'm so pleased to be able to share my interviews and insights with you here on the Energy the Untamed Heart podcast. Subscribe on your listening platform so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. You can follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Miel Fox. Please feel free to join my private Facebook energetics group called Fox Den Energetics to stay on top of what's going on with our universal energies, which I share through numerology. You can also find other services and support on my website at www.foxdenenergetics.com. And of course, right now for the month of January, uh, you can use the Calendly link that I will leave in the show notes to schedule your straight to the heart breakthrough call. It's a one-to-one 20-minute Zoom, 20 bucks, pretty easy peasy, where I will give you some insights, tips, and possibly identify areas where you've been wearing blinders, which have prevented you from living and leading your best life possible. You can catch Mercedes in all the places. She goes by her full name, Mercedes Aspland, on Facebook, as well as in her Facebook group called Spiritual Empowered Women. Thank you again so much for joining us, as always. Stay tuned, and we will see you on the next episode of Energy the Untamed Heart. Sending so much love to you all.